Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Catalyst. My name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I would normally be physically present with you, but I tested positive for COVID earlier this week, and so I wanted to be careful as possible, and uh, so we decided it would be better for me to record my message. So I'm actually in the live chat right now. What up, me? Okay. Uh, hopefully, I just responded. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm really sorry I can't be with you physically, but uh, as you know, we're still trying to be cautious, and the last thing I would want to do would be to, uh, you know, be a little outbreak monkey spreading COVID to everyone else just to be physically present. So I'm with all the virtual folks today as we're talking about our final number in our Catalyst Summer Series on Encanto and the Enneagram. Uh, all summer, we've been looking at the different numbers that represent different personas to project to that we develop to protect our true selves. And today we're finishing strong with the Enneagram 7. And if you're joining us for the first time and you have no idea about any of the words that I just said, don't worry, we'll get there. But for now, uh, I just want to talk about my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Enneagram sevens, uh, and that is Han Solo. Yeah, that's right, Han Solo of Star Wars fame, the rogue with a heart of gold. Uh, Han is always up for a new adventure, but you know he doesn't like to stick around when things get tough. Like one of the big surprises of the first movie, of course, by first movie, I mean episode four, right? The original Star Wars is that he decides to come back just in the nick of time to save the day and to give Luke Skywalker the, the cover he needs to be able to uh, destroy the, the original Death Star. But even as he begrudgingly decides to stay and help the rebellion, he can't seem to get in touch with his deep emotions. There's that famous scene where Leia finally tells him that she loves him and all he can respond with is, I know. And uh, we think that that's so like swoon worthy and masculine, but it's really just him hiding from his emotions, right? He can't even bring himself to respond to the love of his life with I love you too. Uh, and then of course in the sequels, uh, we learned that Han and Leia eventually split up because Han can't deal with the difficult, painful emotions that come from everything that happens with his son, Ben. And so he leaves again. He goes back to skipping through the galaxy on adventures, one adventure after another. Friends, that's a classic Enneagram 7. It's not a coincidence that, that Han is one of the most popular Star Wars characters because 7s are awesome. They're super fun. They're the life of every party. Um, but it is possible to be too much fun. So fun that you're not actually there for the really important moments. And, and Sevens, you model for us God's spirit of play and joy. You model for us that full, rich, exuberant life that we were created to live. Um, but deep down, you know that life is not all fun and games. So the question that's before you today is how can you learn to slow down and remain? How can you be present for life's difficult moments, not just for its triumphs? And of course, for the rest of us, the question is how do we help you do Right? How do we how do we be partners with you? How do we be present for you and help you to flourish? And so we're going to be asking those questions today. But first, we're going to celebrate the God who is with us, the God who is fun, the God who is the joy that we were created to experience. So I'm going to be handing it back over to Nathan and the worship team. Of course, we are going to be receiving communion together in a few moments. And so if you're in the building, hopefully you receive one of those little cups, communion cups uh, for when uh, later, when we receive together, if like me, you're virtual, hopefully you grabbed something 
uh, or you're, you can go ahead and go do that. I've got my water here ready to go and I've actually got a little vitamin C gummy um, in place of my communion wafer. Um, but yeah, uh, we're gonna be doing that. So, so take some time to get that ready. And with that said, I wanna hand it over to Nathan and the worship team. And would you all join me here in the building? Would you stand? Uh, and uh, let's, let's sing and celebrate this God together. And to get at that, we've been looking at a spiritual formation tool called the Enneagram. Uh, and we've been looking at the, the magical madrigal family from the hit film Encanto. Uh, it, it's kind of cool, but each of the members of La Familia Madrigal correlates to one of the nine numbers of the Enneagram. So we've been using them as sort of a window into what these different numbers mean. And on the surface, the Enneagram looks like a personality profile, like Myers-Briggs or Shrinksfinder or the one where you're an animal, right, or whatever. Um, but in the Enneagram, you identify yourself with a different number, one through nine. So I'm a three, right? Nathan is a four. Uh, we're all different numbers. But these numbers tell us how we interact with the world. Uh, the difference, however, is that uh, it, it's like the spiritual director Ian Crom says, um, personality profiles tell you who you really are, and the Enneagram tells you who you're really not. So the idea is if as a Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFJ or an INTP or, or whatever, right? Whatever you are, uh, then you learn how to be that more fully. In the Enneagram, the numbers are what mystics and theologians call a shadow self. So they're a persona that we've created usually pretty early on in our lives to protect us from a world that is dangerous in some way. And uh, the goal of the Enneagram is to understand this persona, understand how it's an unhealthy coping mechanism, how it's actually hiding our authentic selves from the world so that we can uh, do away with that persona and live more authentically as the person who God created us to be and who God calls us back to. Uh, so throughout the series, we've seen the Enneagram is divided into triads, right, based around a core emotion or a core wounding message that we've received in childhood. We began with the anger triad, right, with the, the, the numbers that react to anger, that either avoid it, that uh, internalize it or externalize it. And then we looked at the shame triad, those numbers who avoid, internalize, or externalize shame. In the last two weeks, we've been in the final triad, the fear triad. We started with cousin Dolores, the investigator, who is the fear externalizer, right? She collects data to protect herself from a dangerous world, a world that she's afraid of. Last week, we talked about Bruno, and we saw him as the loyalist, the six, the fear avoider. And we saw how sixes uh, work really hard to plan and have contingencies for everything so that they can not have to face a fearful world. And so today we're looking at the final number, the sevens, the fear, uh, the fear internalizers, right? Uh, these are known as the enthusiasts. Sevens internalize their fear. Uh, but you never know that because, well, to be blunt, because sevens are a blast. Uh, take the seven in La Familia Madrigal, right? Cousin Camilo. Camilo's power is to shapeshift, and he's known as a harmless prankster, or as Mirabel says, my primo Camilo won't stop until he makes you smile today. Um, now, while he's not a main character in Encanto, Camilo is constantly in the background, shifting from one person to another, playing jokes, making everyone laugh. And I know we've been saying all summer that all of the numbers are great, and that's true, but sevens, 
like maybe are my favorite number uh, because again, they're just so great. So, so what does the seven look like in kind of in, in an average everyday world? What do they look like when they're unhealthy and what do they look like when they're healthy? Well, average sevens reframe almost everything that is sad, limiting, or that could be perceived as failure, changing the narrative so that events are recast in an affirming way. They find happiness and anticipation and sadness in the reality that their expectations are seldom realized. They entertain to feel safe and to claim their place in a group. They're very popular, but they find commitment to be a challenge. That's an average seven. Now, what about an unhealthy seven? Unhealthy sevens see themselves and their environment as inadequate, feeling sorry for themselves and often believing that they've been dealt an unfair hand. They try to avoid pain at any cost, which leads to irresponsible behaviors and seeking instant gratification. They are often reckless, risking more than they can stand to lose and are more prone to addiction than any other number. Okay, but again, we know it's not all bad, right? Um, sevens, when you're healthy, you're this beautiful picture of God. So what does it look like when sevens are healthy? Well, healthy sevens know that less is more. They're aware of the energy they have invested in manufacturing happiness, and they know that joy is a gift that can only be received. They're able to incorporate pain and disappointment into the whole of their lives rather than merely avoiding it. They are not only fun and adventurous, but also spiritually grounded, practical, and resilient. Sevens are really fun people. They, they seem to have boundless energy and they're constantly moving from one activity to the next. Um, but if you hang around a seven long enough, you, you might notice that sevens never have a bad day. Like, never. Which is weird, right? Because no one never has problems. No one never has to suffer. And that's true about sevens as well. But sevens don't have the tools to feel pain. When sevens were kids, they heard the message, you're on your own. Maybe that was when their parents set them down and told them they were getting a divorce or there was a sudden move. Whatever it was, they learned that they had to take care of themselves. And so they created a sort of never, never land in their mind. In their heads, they never have to feel pain and the sky's the limit. This is a double-edged sword because sevens are really fun, entertaining, they're endlessly curious about the world. But they're also never satisfied. Um, do you know that feeling that you get when like there's this, you've been waiting ages for this new movie to come out, or maybe it's that new phone with all the bells and whistles. And, and so you, you, you finally go to the premiere or, or it shows up in the mail and then it's, it's fine. Like you, you watch the movie or you have the phone and turn out to kind of just be like your last phone, but a little, like a little better. That's every experience for a seven. They're so captivated by what's next that they can't enjoy what's right in front of them. And while it's not true that sevens never experience dark emotions, it's always in short bursts and it's always on their terms. I have a friend who's a seven who's married to a four. That's the romantic, the Tia Peppa, right? And since he's a four, he loves sad things, really, especially really melancholy music. He's always trying to get his wife to listen with him, but she hates it. She almost always quickly changes the subject or finds an adventure to go on. Uh, so sevens, let me level with you. This path to wholeness and health, it's a scary one for you to walk. And you've learned to be afraid of your own inner world, of those feelings and experiences that feel negative to you. And to grow, you're going to have to face them. You're going to have to accept that you can face them. And this is an act of faith for you because you will have to do something that runs contrary to that core lie that you've believed so long. You are not on your own. You don't have to do everything for yourself. 
you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 139. Now, this is one of the most popular songs in the book of Psalms, and rightly so, because it celebrates the infinite depths of God's love for us. And so, seven, this is good news for you today. The truest truth that it's easy for you to hear, but it's hard for you to believe. God is with you. You never have to do anything alone. You don't have to take care of yourself. You can face those hard things because you never face them alone. Let's let's hear the psalmist. This is verses one through six. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. This is a healing message for all of us, no matter what our number is, right? That God knows us fully and completely, that God goes before us and follows us, and that God places God's hand of blessing on our heads. I mean, such a powerful truth is too great for us to understand. So, Rather than trying to, to understand it with our minds, let's let's try to understand it with our bodies. Let's sing about it. Let's sing the truth so that it sinks into our bones. So seventh, what is your path to healing? Well, it begins by recognizing that God is in fact with you, that you can brave those scary places in yourself, those negative emotions that terrify you, um, because God is with you in those spaces. I want to work through the rest of Psalm 139 with you because you'll see that God is with you even in those scary places, maybe especially in those scary places. So let's start with a passage that sevens I think are just going to love. Okay, this is uh, verses 7 through 12. Psalmist says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You ask a big group of friends who wants to quit their jobs and spend a year traveling the, gro- the globe. Oh, and by the way, we leave tomorrow. The one whose hands are up before you finish your question, those are your sevens, right? And here, sevens, you see that everywhere you go, God is with you, supporting you, caring for you. No matter where you go, even to outer space, even to the underworld, God is with you. Sevens, your your sense of adventure, your curiosity, your playfulness and excitability, these are good responses to God's good creation. God shares these with you and God revels in this with you. But seven, you know this, right? You usually enjoy the planning, the dreaming a lot more than the experience. You love the anticipation of the trip more than the trip itself because you're so busy planning the next thing, you struggle to be present in this one. So sevens, if you don't learn to stop and smell the roses that you planted, you're missing the God who is present with you, the God who keeps you and protects you even as you dare to face those places in yourself that you're afraid of. Listen to the psalmist again in verses 13 through 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. 
Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This is a powerful, poetic declaration of how deeply, how intimately God knows you, sevens. God sees all those spaces you're afraid to say, God, st- to stay. God sees you and knows you intimately and deeply. God is already present in those places where you're afraid to go. And more than that, knowing all of those inner places, knowing you completely from the inside out, here's how God considers you. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God is, I was, I was going to say infatuated with you, but that's wrong. God is captivated by you. God can't quit considering how wonderful and beautiful you are. Again, not because God doesn't know every inch of you inside and out, but specifically because God knows you fully and completely. God marvels at you. God delights in you. God is not afraid of you. God is not disgusted by you or disappointed in you. God is delighted by you. Sevens, this is the path to learning not to fear those negative emotions and and in facing them and learning to sit with them. You'll learn that they're not negative at all. Actually, grief, grief is good and necessary. It's a powerful affirmation of the value of the person that we lost. Sadness agrees with God that the world is not the way that the world should be. That the, the way God created it to be. Anger is fueled to engage the evil in our world. By learning not to flee from these emotions, you become more able to be present. You become more whole. Seventh, in learning to pause long enough to receive God's unconditional and infinite love for you, that you learn to become whole and healthy. You learn to pair your infectious enthusiasm with a real reliable presence among those you love, you're able to stay the same way that God stays with you. So now I want to to invite you to the communion table. This is a space that we return to every week, a space that God prepares for us. And sevens, I want to invite you here to share a meal with the God who created you and who calls you and who knows you. This is a place where God invites you not to come with any agenda or any plans for what's next, but simply to experience God's love, to receive God's love. And so before we come to the communion table, I'm going to read uh, the end of Psalm 139, where the psalmist asks God to search and know him. And I want to offer this as a space for sevens and for all of us to allow God to know us and to invite God to show us who we really are before we come to the table. So I'm gonna read this passage and I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes of silence uh, to just offer this as a prayer to God in this space that we're sharing together. Verses 23 and 24, the psalmist says, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart. "'Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life.
Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might celebrate these among us that uh, would identify as Enneagram 7s, these who are so fun, who are so bright, who represent your curiosity and your love of exploration and your delight in creation. Uh, but we have seen, too, that this can come at a cost, that uh, so often they also are afraid to face uh, difficult times and hard truths. And so we come to your communion table today as a people who are in a world that that makes it really easy to skip on to the next thing rather than dwelling on the hard thing. We pray in these moments that uh, the, that we would offer that up to you, that we would receive in their place these elements, whatever they are, whether these communion cups or the things we've been able to assemble at home, we pray in these moments that they would be a spiritual food for us, that by receiving them together, uh, we might also receive the grace to stay and to trust that you have already come before us and that you're coming beside us and behind us, that we can choose the hard thing because you have already chosen the hard thing. We pray that in learning to stay, we would be a people who is able to weather these hard times together and with our community. We offer these prayers now, and we approach your table today in the name of your son, Jesus. Now, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he broke bread and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Now, as you're going, you know, we do homework, right? Uh, we, we talk about. Uh, what what to do if you're a seven? Uh, seven, here's here's what I want you to do, and you're gonna you're gonna kind of hate this a little bit, right? But it's it's just practice staying. So uh, meditation and solitude. Practice just being by yourself and sitting and staying, and then take those verses, take Psalm 139 that we did today, and just spend some time meditating on those on those verses in there about how God is present with you uh, throughout this week. Now, for the rest of us who are not sevens, here's the the thing about sevens is. Um, most adults who are not sevens have forgotten how to play, uh, which is actually a beautiful, sacred thing. Um, in many ways, it's the purpose that we are created for, not, not for work, but for play. And so let a seven in your life teach you how to play and listen to seven stories, because stories are often how the sevens communicate emotions. Okay, So because, um, again, sevens, we need you. We need you to be fully who you are. Uh, you, you represent such a beautiful picture of God's love for us and God's sense of delight. I think in some ways, more than any of the other numbers, you embody the purpose of God's creation for us. So thank you for that. And as you're going, Cattles, I want to send you into a world that really needs the gift of play right now, um, a place that is full of despair, of doom and gloom. Uh, may you follow the leads of the sevens among us into a world that desperately needs play. And know that the God who created you is going ahead of you, and coming along beside you, and coming along behind you. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.